Morning, everyone. Thank you uh, for joining us at Church Online. Um, starting to drag, I know. I certainly feel that, but this is going to go on for a little bit longer and just need to pray that God leads us or provides for us some sort of vaccine as quickly as possible. Um, so we continue our series in the parables and we're into Luke 13 this morning. And it's about the issue of suffering and our response to it. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you enable us to communicate in this way, to fellowship together, to worship you. Thank you again for your word. And thank you, Lord, that though we can't be all together at once, nonetheless, you're with all of us at once. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit and for your word. And we pray that you'll speak to us now. You'll shape our thinking and direct our lives for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 3 gives us three pictures of how we can better understand suffering. And while that's not exactly the topic for this morning, it is in the general area. Jesus gives a parable to correct some people's thinking about how they respond to life's tragedies or accidents or circumstances. Um, sooner or later, for all of us, the shadow of suffering will fall across our path be it our own personal life or be it in the life of someone who is close to us. And most of us will end up asking questions, um, some good questions, some feeling, struggling questions of was it deserved or not? Did God send it or not? Where does it fit into this big picture of God being a good God and getting control of our world, which is a world filled with where good things but also where bad things happen um, so like i said that's not our focus this morning it's just on the edge of it um, and in the bulletin i wrote about uh, different ways that we can understand this issue of suffering of natural disasters or human activity or sometimes god's displeasure acting in our world to correct or discipline us and sometimes there is another spiritual cause a satanic cause satanic meanness like in job chapter one on this parable that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 13, uh, it challenges us in how we are to respond to suffering, to accidents or incidents or when things don't go the way we hope that they would. Um, and we're going to talk about that. There are two main points. <clears throat> Firstly, the right kind of response in verses 1 to 5 to tragedy and to a natural accident is one of personal reflection and repentance towards God personal reflection and repentance towards God that's certainly a, a mind shift as we'll talk about second main point is the right kind of response to living in this world is one of again repentance that bears fruit um, the fruit of repentance in our lives that's verses six to nine the parable itself at this point in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem um, because his time to go back to heaven is coming. And so in the last few chapters, he's been uh, resolute and his mindset on going to Jerusalem. And on the way, he is encountering different crowds and encountering a fair bit of opposition and resistance and not welcomed in one place, he's been tried and tested in other places and people come up with excuses for not following him and um, even that 
famous parable of the, the Good Samaritan is initiated by a person asking, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And then when Jesus focuses in on what's necessary, he asks the question, who is my neighbour? He wasn't concerned, he was deflecting, trying to get the attention off himself. And so Jesus, in that context, is now talking to the crowd of people and reminding them they need to be right with God. And he's just corrected them. He's called them this wicked generation and so resistant, so hard-hearted. He challenges them and says, you can look at the signs of the weather and you can predict what is going to come. And you do that accurately. But you look at the signs of what I'm doing and what I'm saying and you have no idea who I am because you have no heart to want to know. And so it's into that context that suddenly a person out of the crowd in verse 1 suddenly asks a question. It's a typical human response. It's deflection. It's when things are getting a bit hot for us, we like to take the focus off us and talk about somebody else. This man suddenly asks a question about, hey Jesus, what do you think about that incident of what Pilate did down in uh, how he killed some Galileans and mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices? To which Jesus' response is one which is very clear, but it's a worldview shift. Instead of focusing upon um, what other people do to other people, tragedies and so on, you should, when we become aware of that, we ought to reflect on ourselves of what is my, not just my response to that, but what is my response to what God is allowing to happen in this world. And so Jesus says, no, if you think that those people were worse sinners than what you are, you're wrong. You need to repent. Um, otherwise, you'll perish. And then perhaps Jesus picked up a little bit of rivalry between Judeans and uh, the Galileans, a bit like between Queensland and New South Wales. The, it's the Judeans who were saying how it's those Galileans who got killed by Pilate. Maybe they're worse sinners than what we are. And, and Jesus then, so Jesus introduces another illustration, this time of a natural disaster, an accident. A tower in Jerusalem fell on some workers and killed 18 of them. And Jesus says, if you think that those people who got killed were worse sinners than what you are because they now have been killed, then you're mistaken. You need to repent. And if you don't repent, then you likewise will perish. What the Lord Jesus is, saying, is addressing here is attacking this false assumption that tragedy only happens to evil people. That was certainly the Jewish mindset. Job's friends had that, if you remember that story. Um, when something does go wrong in our life, it's a good question to ask ourselves. It's not a good thing to assume on other people that this is happening to them because they have sinned, because they deserve it, because they've done something wrong and God is punishing them. That's a faulty view to take because certainly the Lord Jesus suffered and he did no sin. The prophets suffered, the apostles suffered and they didn't suffer because of bad things they had done but because of the good things of obeying God. Many people today, like the Jewish people then, make those same wrong assumptions. They think that sudden catastrophe means that God is angry with the victims and so he struck them down. Jesus wants to negate that whole 
wrong view. And he does so in these first five verses. He basically says, God didn't do it. Pilate did it. Or it was an accident, you know, a natural accident. They were not greater sinners than you. You need to repent because one day something will happen to you. And if you don't repent now, then the opportunity will be taken from you. So you need to repent. If you don't repent, you will perish. Um, So the Lord Jesus is seeking to correct this faulty assumption and the flip side of that assumption is that some people think some people don't need to repent um, because they're honourable, they're decent people, they're good people who live upstanding lives, they don't hurt anybody, they pay their bills on time, they're nice and kind to others, bad things don't happen to them. Um, Those same people tend to think that it's the victims who need to get right with God. We don't. They were bad. We aren't. No, says Jesus. You're all sinners. And so eight times in verses two to five, the Lord Jesus mentions the word you. Um, Do you think, says that twice, I tell you unless you repent, you will perish. And he repeats that again. Jesus certainly may have picked up on that rivalry between the two states but the thinking was either way incorrect so there are three facts the Lord Jesus if you like gives he says number one bad things do happen to good people as just like good things also happen to bad people the Bible certainly teaches that what we need and here is the worldview shift what we need is a realistic negative view on this world but we need a healthy positive response to tragedy we often do it the other way around we have a positive attitude to this world it's like a playground i'm here to enjoy myself it's a wonderful world and we tend to have a negative view towards suffering Uh, this is wrong this is not right this shouldn't be happening but the fact is bad things happen in this world to good people and good things happen in this world to bad people And because we're all sinners, we should expect things to go wrong every day. That's the norm. But things don't go wrong every day in our lives. That's God's goodness and grace to us. We should be grateful and surprised that nothing went wrong today. Um, And we ought to be um, not shocked or surprised when life's tragedies happen we are all sinners living in a sinner's world and there is a spiritual enemy wandering around who does intend to mean us harm so fact number one bad things happen to good people good things happen to bad people fact number two jesus said everybody needs to repent no exception we all need to repent but i haven't done anything wrong someone would object then you are spiritually blind and not self-aware even the most so-called righteous of us need to repent Jesus says and so do people who have suffered greatly already we all need to repent it's faulty thinking to think that if someone who is in tragic circumstances either born into it or it's happened in their life they've become disabled or hurt in some way whether they're bedridden or whatever the limitation is, 
oh, that surely they'll go to heaven because they've suffered so much. It's wrong thinking. We all need to repent. God commands everyone everywhere to repent. That includes you and me. Don't, deflecting, don't deflect it by saying, oh, what about them? Let's face the fact ourselves. So Jesus says we all need to repent. In fact, number three is those who don't repent, Jesus says very clearly, says it twice, they will perish. So the underlying principle of Jesus in Luke 13 was that when a tragedy or a calamity befalls an individual or a group or a city or a nation, we ought not to assume that there are some special cause sent by God that he's punishing them unless we have a revelation from God, like we do in the Old Testament and with the prophets, where God indicates that that's what he's doing. Bad things happen. It could happen to us. And so we need to repent and get right with God and embrace each day that he gives us. We need to get right with God, embrace each day and live for him. The main point of tragedy is not a sign of sinfulness, just as the absence of tragedy in our lives is not a sign of righteousness. Uh, we just live in this broken, fallen world and we need to think about it in a way which is honouring to God, the God who is good and the God who is in control. Um, so no matter whether one's life is tragic or tranquil, we're all sinners and therefore we all need to repent. Um, yeah. so this entire cosmos is a revelation whenever you know there are natural disasters hurricanes or earthquakes or droughts or it's a reminder to us that the world has fallen and that the whole creation itself is groaning and waiting for the day of redemption when God will put things right but for the majority of times in our life experience it's bad choices that people make that lead to much of the harm and hurt and tragedy that we experience so it's not about blaming God it's about submitting to God and trusting that he is good and he's working his purposes out and the good news is that Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of sin that we brought into this world Jesus is the way out so we need to take the opportunity to repent when you have a chance before anything does happen to us and then it would be too late for us to repent. That's the Lord Jesus's point. The kind of response, number one, to tragedy or natural accidents in our world is personal reflection and repentance towards God. Then Jesus tells this parable. <clears throat> the kind of response to suffering is repentance that bears fruit in our lives. The Lord Jesus has corrected this false assumption and now he tells this simple but powerful story. For three years, um, that the parable talks about, is uh, the last three years of when the owner of the, the uh, fig tree, the owner of the vineyard, was entitled to get fruit. The way it used to work, according to Leviticus 19, if you have a look at that, verses 23 to 25, is that when you plant a fig tree, for the first three years, it was to be left alone and it was, rent, it was considered unclean. The fourth year belonged to God and so the fifth year was the first year that the owner was allowed to reap the fruits. And in the parable, the man who, the owner of the vineyard, had come for the last three years. So he'd come in year five, uh, 
year six and year seven. This is now the seventh year. In the fifth year, he came looking for fruit and there wasn't anything, just leaves. He came in the sixth year, still no fruit. And he came in the seventh year and once again, there is no fruit. And the patience of the owner has worn out. And so he says, cut it down. <clears throat> it's taking up room um, as well as it's sucking nutrients out of the soil. So it's depriving other plants of goodness. Um, I didn't plant that fig tree just to bear leaves. I planted fig trees to give me the fruit of figs. It would increase their value of his property, certainly as well as his enjoyment of the product. Um, and having resolved that he's finally going to remove it, the guy who runs the vineyard, the vineyard gardener, if you like, intercedes in verse 8 and says to him, let's give it one more chance. Let's give it one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll loosen the roots up and enable it, encouraging it to grow. I'll fertilize it and stimulate growth in it. And if at the end of 12 months it bears fruit, well, good. But if after 12 months it is and doesn't respond to that, then let's cut it down. Surprisingly, the owner agrees. He agrees to wait another year. So it's from seven years now into the eighth year. Why did he do that? Well, he's certainly a patient man, but he's also wanting to make absolutely sure this tree is completely worthless, that it won't do what it was created to do or put there to do. Um, if the tree doesn't take the opportunity afforded by the owner's patience and the gardener's extra care, then a day of reckoning will arrive. That's the point. And of course, there are two possibilities. The tree will change and it'll bear fruit or the tree won't change and will bear no fruit. Um, this is its final chance um, with a time limit. It's a reprieve, not a pardon. Uh, grace has been extended, if you like, but the grace is not forever. So too, that's how God operates in our world, that he gives sinners extra time, another chance, time to repent. Um, in the parable, I think the vineyard is our world and that we are the fig tree and that we uh, have been put here by God to bear fruit for him. And he comes looking for fruit and he gives us a chance to do so. And he's been very patient with us, but he still expects there to be fruit to come in our lives. And that's certainly the point of the parable that Jesus is teaching these people, that they need to repent, they need to change, and they need to line their lives up with God. So too, this tree needs to change and bear fruit. The parable certainly shows us that the owner of the vineyard is patient, so God is patient with us. Notice too, the owner changed his mind and he rescinded his call. God can too. The owner responded to the intervention of the servant and God does the same as we've seen in Amos and Jeremiah and the minor prophets and Jonah, how God relents from bringing judgment. He's a God of grace and mercy and of kindness, but it has its limits. Um, there will come a time when God will say enough is enough. You have another year or a week or another day, but judgment is coming. A day of reckoning, final reckoning, has been scheduled. 
The owner expects, the Lord expects to see fruit. That's the purpose. That's why we're all put here. What sort of fruit should we be bringing forth? Well, the first one is to believe in the Lord Jesus. The second one is to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then flowing out of that is associated with that, the character of the Lord Jesus, to be sanctified, to become more like him. Um, we certainly can be grateful that God has been patient with us, but we need to be reminded that God's patience does have a limit. God will come to the point when he will say, enough. He'll either take us home, take us out of this world, or he'll call full time on this world and Jesus will return. The number one thing for us to do out of this parable and out of this passage of scripture is we need to repent. We need to make sure we're right with God, even as believers, to continue doing so. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all that we have, with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we haven't. So the first and most necessary thing for us to do is to repent. Um, yeah. So the question, are you walking in repentance, even as a believer? When was the last time you spent time honestly, carefully, asking the Lord's forgiveness in your life for your sins, specific sins? I wonder if you're sensing the Holy Spirit putting his finger on any area in your life uh, that needs change, that needs repentance, that needs to be put aside. Um, what do we need to do? You need to repent. How do we repent? Well, it, repentance is a change of mind. So it's to do with knowledge, of acknowledging either what we're doing or thinking or saying is wrong, according to God's word. So it's I know this is wrong. I know this is a sin. Call it what it is. It affects our words so that if this is wrong, then I say it's wrong and I confess that to God. It affects my heart, my emotions, where I feel sorry for having done that. I regret it. It means I make a choice that I break away from it. I choose not to do it again, that I change, that I turn that I stop that behaviour in my life um, and that it has an ongoing impact of actually it becomes like a strong hatred of sin, a love for God and a turning away from that which would hurt or offend him. Um, what do we need to do? We need to repent. When tragedy strikes our world, when we hear about it, when we become aware of it, when it comes to our attention, but by the grace of God, there go I. That could have happened to me. God has been kind and merciful to me um, and I am to be thankful to him and I am to make sure that my repentance is up to date. When I hear about tragedy in other people's lives, I'm certainly to uh, consider and reflect for myself, but I'm also to pray for them and to help them where I can, but to be grateful that God's been good to me this is a fallen world where bad things happen and should happen every day the fact that they don't is god's goodness to us and we are to be a grateful people well to summarize the right kind of response jesus says to tragedy and to natural accidents the tower falling down is one of personal reflection and repentance towards god getting right with god bad things do happen to good people it's a fact of life and good things happen to bad people 
God will put things right one day. But we're not in that day yet. And Jesus said, everyone needs to repent, no exception. And those who don't repent, Jesus says they will perish. He means eternal punishment, eternal destruction, exclusion from God's presence forever. And the right kind of response coming out of the parable is a life that bears fruit in our lives. The fruit of believing in Jesus, the fruit of um, bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's looking at my life, and if I look at, take it from my angle, how has God shaped me? How has God gifted me? What's God's purpose for me? Well, I write down some areas of both relationship but also responsibilities of where this is my purpose and my calling. Um, maybe if you're a younger person, you would be a, a son or a daughter or you're a, a grandson or a grandchild. Um, you could be a sibling, a brother or a sister. And you have responsibilities in those relationships. If you're a son or a daughter, you have a responsibility to your parents. If you're a grandchild, you have that towards your grandparents. Well, for me, I'm a husband, so I have responsibilities towards my wife. Am I bearing that sort of fruit in my life that God is looking for? I am also a father, a grandfather, so I have responsibilities there of fruit um, to bear in those relationships. I'm a friend, I'm a neighbour, my job is I'm the senior pastor of the church and I am a pastor, a leader and a Bible teacher. They all have areas of responsibility and that's where the fruit in my life that God will be looking for because that's how he's shaped me, that's how he called me. And God is at work in my life and of course in yours where like in the parable he is digging and he is fertilising. He is loosening up and enabling you to grow and he is adding to your life positive things to facilitate growth in your life. And it's a matter of you cooperating with him because the owner of the fig tree expects fruit. And if no fruit is forthcoming, then he has every intention of removing it, of cutting it down. That's why, let me finish with this, that's why the Lord Jesus emphasizes both in leading up to this parable and in telling this parable that we all need to repent. We all need to get right with God, to be grateful for his patience, but not to presume on it. Isaiah the prophet says it well. He says in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Do that now in this life. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil person their thoughts. Um, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them um, and he will freely pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the evil person their thoughts. Turn to the Lord and he will have mercy and he will freely pardon. What a wonderful promise. And that's Jesus' intention for each of us. Don't ignore it but embrace it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are a good God and you are in control of this world. Bad things do happen, Lord, and it surprises us. Help us to have a focus 
which is always evaluating ourselves and aligning ourselves with you and your purposes and your will. You are at work and you have promised and you do it that you work in such a way to make all things work together for good, to achieve your purpose in the lives of those who love you. Lord, help us to repent on a daily basis. Deliver us from the evil one. Um, deliver us from giving in to temptation. Help our lives to align with you and for us to bring forth fruit, which is why you have made us and created us. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name and for his honour and glory. Amen. Amen.